I won't say good morning again because that would be weird, wouldn't it? And Ben already told me I can't talk about the weather. So uh, just to just to mention, it is uh, it is a blessing uh, to interact and fellowship with these young men and women going through the lift program uh, week after week. It's a joy, and I want to encourage you as a church to be praying for them uh, as you interact with them and <clears throat> ask them for their name the tenth time. Uh, and uh, but that's okay. Um, but it is a it is a privilege and a, and a joy. And just uh, to let you guys know, this this year our church and Nate at North Country uh, get to invest a little more in their uh, studies over at Camp of the Woods as they as we go through church history together. And uh, you can be praying for me. I begin teaching <clears throat> the last week in January, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that's something to be praying about. Sometimes uh, uh, young men and young women go through lift and they stay after it's over with. And sometimes they stay a rather long time. And uh, so it's a joy, uh, in particular, I'm thinking of Karen, it's a joy to have had her serve in the community and in the area, Tapawingo, for a couple of years now, three years you've been in the area. Is that right? Something like that. And uh, she is, uh, she's, she's gone. This is it. Her last Sunday with us. I made it negative, didn't it? Didn't it sound bad? <clears throat> well, she was praying about whether joining the church or moving to Virginia, and Virginia won. So uh, now we, we're so thankful uh, for uh, just the time we've gotten to know her and just want to encourage you as a church to be praying for her as she, as she continues to follow the Lord and, and following Christ. And, and so I just want to pray for Karen, if I could. And uh, won't you, you want to come up here? Would that be good? I guess I could pray for you where you're at too, but so, all right, let's pray church. Father, we thank you so much for uh, Karen and the work you've been doing in her life over the past couple of years, how you've used her and you've stretched her faith and, and allowed her to grow. Thank you for her desire to continue to follow uh, you and to serve in, in whatever way you've gifted her. Pray that she would um, walk through this transition with joy and anticipation. I know there's kind of sadness with that as well, but Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to use her and direct her steps. We pray as she gets settled in a local church and, and occupation and further study and all those things, that you would just guide her along the way. I thank you for this investment in her life at the time she spent up here. And I pray that you... Uh, allow through this formative time to just continue to impact everything she does beyond now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. We'll be praying for you. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter number 4, and we're going to look at today in our time together, verse 43 to verse 54, and when you've found your place, you can follow along with me as I read. John, chapter 4, verse 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. 
for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had came from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and apply it to our hearts. Belief or believe is mentioned uh, 84 times in the Gospel of John. If you just do a Google search, it's a command. It is a a thing which John and Jesus himself explains to us. It is often contrasted throughout the narratives and it is displayed for us in the lives and actions of different people. A contrast to some and others. It should be no surprise that as you come to the Gospel of John, we, don't, uh, we find ourselves continually uh, coming across the theme of believe or belief. We may call it faith because John told us himself his intent for writing these 21 chapters was that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we might say this, underlying every scene... Every miracle, every sermon that is taught, every set of doctrine or teaching that is given, the intent behind that, the application, the overarching thing that that is meant to do for us from the mind of the Apostle John and the work of the Holy Spirit is that you might believe on Jesus. And for the Christian this morning, it is that not only that you might believe on Jesus for the saving of your soul, but as you encounter him in all the various ways that the gospel unfolds for us, that you may be strengthened in your faith, that your faith may be galvanized into who he is and what he has come to do. John is one of those books that it reads differently the second time. It is true for those who are unsaved this morning, John's purpose in writing is to evangelize you to present Jesus to you in such a way of who he is and what he's done and what he promises that you might understand that and receive that as your own. And yet the second time, the third time, and the fourth time we encounter the gospel of John, it's still that continual note, isn't it, that we are to believe and keep on believing, growing in our faith as believers. Well, that is the content of our text this morning and the healing of this man's son. It's wrapped up in his interactions, his faith that Jesus is pressing up against and and really drawing out. It is belief, and that is what is 
contrasted at the beginning of this. But before we look at the miracle itself, I want to go back to uh, the first part of this that we read in verse 43 through 45 and look at the setting that this has taken place. Now, this is a narrative and everything is building up to a certain point and, and at that point it finds its resolution, it finds its, its climax and that is in the interaction with Jesus and then later on he himself believed. But notice back in verse 43, and if you've been going through the Gospel of John with us on Sunday mornings, you are reminded that Jesus had just spent two days ministering in Samaria. He had already spoke to a woman at the well, and, and she converted over, believing he is who he said he was. Is this not the prophet? And she goes tells the Samaritans, and, and off they all come to, to see who in the world this man is sitting at a well talking to this woman. And as they come believing her word, they, they are strengthened and they believe his word. And as after these two days, Jesus is beginning to move back to where he had turned the water into wine. We find that in verse number 46, he is beginning to go back to Jerusalem. Verse 44, John gives us Jesus' understanding of this transition. Notice what he says. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. He's not saying here that's not why why he is avoiding Nazareth, which would be his hometown, uh, 10 miles from where he's going. He's making just an overall statement, a comparison to what had taken place, what he had just experienced in Samaria and what he will experience by his own countrymen. I was speaking to a, a friend of mine yesterday who actually used this reference. By the way, how many of you used this reference this past week? Nobody? Maybe it's a preacher thing, I guess. I don't know. He he was speaking about where he was from, and he said, you know, after all, prophet has no honor in his hometown. And I was like, yes, Jesus did say that. And in fact, I'm actually reading and thinking on that just now. I'm glad you mentioned that. But he did go. He willfully, with his eyes open, knowing he leaves a place of honor, a place that that received him, but received him with honor to a place that would not receive him. In fact, you see this kind of turning in the progress of his ministry. We could at least say this. Jesus walks not only into Galilee, but into Jerusalem and the events at the end of this book with his eyes wide open, willing to do the Father's will from honor to dishonor. In fact, that's a whole gospel narrative, right? From glory to shame to glory. From glory to suffering to glory. But why the contrast here, we ask? And what does it have to do with the narrative in front of us? Why say it at this point? I think we see the contrast, verse number 45. Notice he is leaving, been there for two days, verse number 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They received him. And in fact, we know that that wherever Jesus went, he was almost always overran by a multitude of people. In fact, in one part, you might recall that Jesus having to have the, the fishermen, the disciples, cast your boat out a little bit so I can have enough room to speak to these people because they're just all over top of him. But there is a difference here in this statement. Look at it with me. Having seen all that had been done in Jerusalem at the feast, they too had gone to the feast. 
what attracted them, what drawn them, what was, what was the thing that, that brought the attention and, and brought this warm welcome and reception was the things that they seen, was the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And all of those things are absent when he is in Samaria. In fact, you find later on in verse, or earlier, verse number 35 Look at it, or 39. He says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Not because of water turning to wine, not because of some lame man walking, not because of dead being raised, but this woman simply shared what she understood or experienced with Christ and they believed on him. But then he goes on. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them there two days. And many more believed because of his word. It was the power of his word. It was his word which captured them, opened their eyes. It was the word which which brought them to believe in him. But now he goes to his own town, which is caught up in what we find later on in Signs and Wonders and they trip over that continually throughout the rest of the gospel. So as Jesus comes from Samaria, who, who almost set an example of, of believing, receiving the word of God and believing in Christ and coming to that great glorious declaration, you are the savior of the world. He goes to his own people and as he comes to his own people, they swarm him and they flock him. And, and as he goes, here comes this official in verse number 46. So he came again to Galilee where he had made water to wine and at Capernaum there was an official, probably better translation of that as in a royal official. It's the word of, of a nobleman or someone who was in the court of uh, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, and he would have been a, a pretty prominent figure. He had money, he had a title, he had, he had influence, he had power, but he also had a son who was ill. So in the scene, as you come up to this encounter, we find that here is the situation set before us. Here's the setting. He leaves a place. They believe his word. He comes to uh, Galilee. They're flocking to him. They receive him. And in receiving him, here comes a man with a desperate desperate need. I want to say as we look at this man and his interaction with Christ or Christ's interaction with this man, the first thing I want us to understand when it comes to his own Faith, this progress that's leading us up to verse number 15 or 53, faith has to be informed. Faith has to be informed. That's kind of an odd thing to say, but it, it is worth noting that faith is not a feeling. It's not goosebumps. It's not the hair standing up on the back of your neck. It's not a cold chill running up your spine. It's not a warm butterfly feelings it's not serenity faith is not tangible as in a substance that you can go get a cup of or an ounce or two of and it's also not an impression of the mind it's not a it's not a subject in all of itself faith is is simply believing but the subject's just as important as the act in fact much more so faith can be absurd it can be it can be misinformed it can be wrong it can be inappropriate and what makes it so is the object which faith is set on i'll put it another way you can believe that you can fly there's nothing wrong with believing that i mean in one way 
But that belief will prove to be foolish and wrong the moment gravity in your body meet. Faith must be informed to be exercised. Belief must be informed to be exercised. Romans speaks of this in chapter number 10, doesn't he? He speaks of that great calling and confessing on the Lord and and, and calling on him, believing that God had raised him from the dead, that great gospel invitation. But then he goes on and says in verse number 14, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see the predicament that Paul is setting forth, that, that there is this confessing that the Lord is... Is that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, but how would they confess that? How would they believe that if they have never heard? In fact, that's the very heart of evangelism, isn't it? And missions movement all over the world. That's what we do here in our missions movement, our support and, and sending and building and caring and, and, and investing in missionaries is all for the same reality that they'll never call on a Savior whom they've never heard of. They need to know that God is appointed a judge over the earth. They need to be told, as Paul told the Athens, God commends all men everywhere to repent. Not suggests, not recommends, but commends all men everywhere to repent and believe in Christ. We support our missionaries and encourage them. We are involved in evangelism because no one will believe in Christ in whom they have never heard. It must be informed. Your faith in God, your faith in Christ, in the gospel, must be an informed faith. In fact, parents, has one of the greatest, should be the greatest desires and goals in your life. Not just keeping your child alive, that should be in there somewhere. But it should be forming in your child's mind the best of your ability by the grace of God who he is, who Christ is, what the gospel is and why they need him. It should be be continually pouring into molding their impressionable minds. Grandparents, some of you, you got a lot more influence on your kids than their their parents do because you let them get by with more stuff. Probably the case. I'm just guessing. But one of our great burdens, one of our great goals and desires in life is that that we may inform them how to walk in ways that please the Lord, inform them what Christ has done to save them. That is no guarantee that your kid will, will serve the Lord all the days of his life, but you've laid a foundation that they will have to willingly walk over to walk in rebellion. And you've also planted seeds. Who knows that by the Spirit of God, he will not cause to grow in years to come. What he's saying is that this man, he's in a predicament. He's, he's heard from the doctors. He's, his son is ill and there's no hope for him. He's at the point of death and he hears. Verse number 47, this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee. We don't know exactly what all he heard. If he was one of the ones in Jerusalem, probably not. Capernaum was 20 miles away. Maybe he heard about the things. News traveled fast in those days as trade would happen and people traveled. And they said, man, can you believe this Messiah guy, Jesus, going around and he healing people, doing miracles, doing many things like that. And somewhere in his hearing of that, somewhere in the testimony of Jesus and what he did strikes hope. Isn't it? 
the man's at the end of his rope. He's desperate. There's no other, there's no other avenue. It's, it's pretty much set the arrangements. And at the point of hearing, there's a, a possibility of hope. There's a possibility of a chance. Maybe, maybe God can do something about this through this man. That's the very thing that we do. We, we hear, and in the hearing and in the informing, it stirs up our, our hope, stirs up our faith, our belief, especially in times of difficulty. Isn't it? Go through this whole gospel narrative and, and all of the gospels and be reminded over and over as, as we're continually being informed and reminded of who Christ is. That is the, the stirring of our faith, the stirring of our hope. And that's what this man has. It's all he has. He's in desperation and he has a glimmer of hope. But I would say even small faith or small hope, as long as the subject is right, is still good. There was no hope in the doctors. There was no hope in the world, but there was hope in Christ. In some ways, he, he, he begins this journey of teaching us. That's exactly where you and I are to go with our problems and troubles. That's the direction. We're to go to him. We're to run to him, plead with him. And that's the language that he uses here in verse number 47, that this man heard that Jesus had come from Galilee. And so he takes the 20-mile, 18-mile, 24, whoever is right about that, you can figure it out. But he went to him and he, he begged him. He didn't just nonchalantly, by the way, if you got time after coffee, maybe, uh, you know, your, your break with the disciples, maybe you can come help me. You got a son, he's sick, he's near death. The language here is of intensity. He begged him, he continued to ask him, implying Jesus didn't answer right away. Secondly, not only must a faith be informed, but a faith must be tested. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. I'll say that again. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. How does he test him? Well, he does it in several ways. The man is desperate. He's pleading with Jesus. And he tests him first by a rebuke, verse number 48. I don't know why Jesus does this. It's not only he who who receives this kind of stiff arm when he comes to Jesus for something. The, the woman was a Gentile who asked for healing for her, her child. And Jesus says it's not, it's not right to give the dogs or give the children's food to dogs. I mean, what a response is that? Oh, but she was relentless, wasn't she? I heard a sermon clip, it may have been this past week or the week before that, of uh, a woman who was preaching... <laughs> And she said, I love this sermon, love this story. Jesus was so wrong and he was so human. And so I turned it off at that point. I said, you need to go no further. (laughs) He was doing the same thing with her that he's doing with this man. He's bringing him to the place. What is it that you truly want? What is it that you truly believe? What is it that you truly think I can do and want from me? So he makes this statement to the man in response, my son is sick and at the point of death. Jesus goes into a a statement, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I have a picture of the guy saying, I don't know nothing about signs and wonders, don't really care about that right now. I've got other things on my mind, come heal my son. I think that was kind of the response. But he's not just speaking about the man here, he's speaking in a broader sense of, of you people. 
it's plural, it's in the form of a group setting. He's saying, unless you all, or for those of you in some parts of the country, use guys. So unless you all hear and see signs and wonders, you won't believe. You're wrapped up in the show. You're wrapped up in, in all of the miracles and all the things that are doing, but you never get beyond him to the substance of faith, and that is Christ himself. In fact, you'll find all throughout John this continual pressing, show us a sign that we may believe. And I mean, the guy just fed 5,000 with, with a little bit of lunch and it's not enough and, and give us some more food. And Jesus is saying, this is typical of you all. He's actually putting the question to the guy, are you like the rest? Is this you? Is this description of who you are and, and the way you are? Is you just want me to, to do something magnificent and you'll be entertained? Why not just go with him? Why not just um, do what the guy's asking? His son is near death. Why press into this? Why did the the man needed to do a little soul searching himself? What is it that he most wanted? We find here in his answer to Jesus, the official verse number 49, this man who has wealth and prestige and all the things that that comforts in life that that money could buy him, position could buy him, was of no use to him. Man, if that doesn't tell us something about our natural state before God, nothing else will. It's almost as if he's he just continues doggedly asking Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. It isn't about stuff and it isn't about show. It isn't about signs. It is life and death of my son. Come and heal him. As I said, he stands as a model for us in the direction we're to go with our our difficulties. And some of you know that as you have been much like this man. As you have prayed for your prodigal child for years, continually. Asking God to intervene and work, and that is where you're meant to go, and that is who you're meant to call on, and that is the one who, the only one that can help. Maybe it's sickness and other loved ones and other things that we find in life that we go through, that, that, that it is to Christ we're to take these burdens and these sorrows. It is to Christ we are to turn, but he doesn't just turn to Christ and bring these and just let it go. He, he, he reminds me of that Old Testament figure, doesn't he, Jacob? You remember the story? He was a very deceptive guy, got this nice blessing from his father and an inheritance, and, well, it was his brother's, but that's another story, right? He goes off and fleeing for his life from his brother, and he lives being deceived and treated wrongfully for, for, for what, 21 years, something of that nature. And as he comes back in to face his brother after all this time and all that he that he has done, he, he comes and in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes to him and they wrestle in the middle of the night. And some of you say wrestle and some of you say wrestle. It doesn't really matter. You get the point. And the beautiful scene of that is that as the morning light comes, the angel's like, let go of me. I got to go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And here's a man at, at the feet of Christ, I don't know what posture it was. It was one of begging. It was one of humility. It was one of desperation and need. He is at the feet of Christ. He is laying hold of him 
and his mercy and his humanity and his divinity saying, I will not let you go. Come and heal my child. It reminds us that prayer is not just something that we go through the motions of, but it is hard work and is the hard work the church needs to be about. Ceaseless, continuing, doggedly pursuing Christ and his will and his help and his aid. But not only does he test the man's faith through a rebuke, but he also tests it through a promise. Notice his response in verse number 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Better understood, I, verse number 50, go, your son lives. Speaking of the immediacy of, of Jesus healing this son, but he says to him, go, your son lives. He doesn't go with him. He doesn't go to his house. He doesn't take, maybe he didn't want to walk to 18 miles or 20 miles. Maybe that's what it was. There's something going on that Jesus does to this, uh, in this man's life that, that is encouraging to us. He's strengthening him. He's drawing, he's developing his faith that he must trust in the word of God. Not the physical presence. Now, some of you may recall the story of Matthew 8 where the centurion man, and, and it's like this story inverted upside down. The centurion man who has a servant who is paralyzed and who is sick and in need of help. The centurion man comes to Jesus and tells him and asks him for healing for his, <clears throat> for his servant. And Jesus says, I will go. Let's go. Come on. Let's, let's, go. let's go get the man better. The centurion response is remarkable, isn't it? Verse number 8 of Matthew 8, he says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now that's faith, isn't it? You, you imagine the man's walk home if Jesus decided to go with him, anxious, probably walking fast, his son is near death, and, and as he's walking on, he, he takes some comfort because Jesus is right beside of him. He could reach out and touch him. He may want to speed him up a little bit. He, he, he's got the crowd following with him. It may be a little bit awkward and, and all those things like that. But, but as he's walking and thinking about his son and life and death, he is comforted by the physical presence, the reality that Jesus is right there with him. What he can see and what he can touch with his own hands. But Jesus chose not to do that. The man will have to walk the 18, 20 miles home and he will have to rest completely rehearsing over his mind. Your son lives as he is entering into his hometown and ultimately into his castle. And Jesus is stretching him. And I thought how stretching it was for the people that this letter was first written to in John's days at the end of the apostle era who did not see Jesus physically, who did not walk with him and who had only heard stories of all these miraculous events. What an encouragement to be reminded that, that dear believer in Christ, that his word and his power is enough to move even while he's physically in heaven. You can trust him. The man, his response to that is to this promise he just believed his word and he walked off. 
And you remember the rebuke, right? Unless you see, you will not believe. And the man's going home without seeing the miracle take place, believing the very words of Christ. Our faith must be tested. Well, thirdly, I would note that our faith is to grow. Our faith is to grow, and it grows first in confirmation. So we must have an informed faith. We must have a a tested and tried faith. We must have a faith that grows. And you see that here in verse number 15 following. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And some suggest his faith was demonstrating the fact that it took so long for him to get home. Others suggest that he spent the night on the way because the trip was long or dangerous or he had other business to take care of. We don't know. All we know is it took the next day before he got home. Can we agree with that? There's no argument there. That's good. Verse 51. As he was going down... His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering or his son lived. You can imagine the servants standing on lookout as the the master of the house or whoever was in charge of all the people when when he was gone. He's telling them, look out and as soon as you see him, meet him and let him know what's happened. Wouldn't you think that would take place? I mean, the son is near death, and all of a sudden he lives. They don't know what happened, what happened with the master while he's over there talking to Jesus, but he's alive. And, and so the servants, as they see him coming, they run out, and they, they explain to him that the, the, the boy lives. You could almost get excited and rejoice with the family, and it happened a long time ago, right? Imagine him coming home, being met with such news. The joy and the, the excitement, maybe even stumbling over himself as he's thinking about all this and, and putting all the pieces together. And that's exactly what he's doing here in verse number 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And so... As he comes home, he puts the pieces together. And as he puts the pieces together, the Bible says, and he himself believed. Again, stirring up his faith. Some suggest here he is moving from his belief in the word of Christ to belief in Christ himself. Maybe that's the example that he is setting for us. Or maybe that he's just reminded that, that, that what he believed is, is being strengthened. He, he continued to believe. And maybe that's what's being said here. And nevertheless, as he sees God's hand working out, it stirs up his faith. He believes in Christ for himself. Could you imagine putting the pieces together with him? I mean, I just think we pray here on Wednesday nights and what it would be like to know when you're bowing your head and you're praying to God for these particular needs that at the very moment you're praying, God is fulfilling them. Do you serve a God like that? At the very moment you're praying, God is attentive to the prayers that are being made. Listening. And sometimes he answers like this immediately and wonderfully. And other times it's much like the first scene with this continual praying and lifting up. But nevertheless, we're, we're 
comforted with the reality that that as we approach him, as we seek him, that he he gives us ear and answers them according to his perfect will and wisdom. And that should encourage us and strengthen us. Well, not only in his confirmation, but his faith grows in influence. says in verse number 53, he says, not only did he believe in all of his household. How did they come to believe? Well, we could look at it that the man believed and he's the head of the house and he's the, 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 you know, he's the guy in charge. And so he says, this is who we're worshiping. And then so the family just has to toe the line. I don't necessarily think that's what is being conveyed here. But how did they come to believe? Isn't it remarkable at the beginning of this story and at the end of this story, you have the same kind of scenario going on. That Jesus' interaction with an individual uh, and, and his work in their life and their belief and trust in him produces, brings about fruitfulness, and that is his work in the lives of others. It happened with the woman at the well and his inter- interaction with her, his discourse with her, and, and at the end of that, the, the town come and believe. And here it happens, this man and his interaction with Christ, and at the end of the day, his household, his servants, his, his family, they all trust in Jesus. Seems so natural, doesn't it? As he comes home and he is seeing all that's taken place, sharing in the joy of what's going on, don't think his wife didn't ask what Jesus said when he told him your son was sick, and don't think he didn't mess it up probably. I don't know what he did, but but he told her, and maybe she said, I can't believe he said that. What would you do next? And his servants and everyone in his house coming to bear witness to the reality of really what Christ has done in his life. And that's what we are called to do, isn't it? It's the impact of God's work and believing Christ for ourselves. It's the fruit of it. Not only are we to to grow and be solidified in our own faith, but in that process, our faith influencing others by how God's worked in our life. The way we instruct and share and tell and, and give and live for the glory of God as it impacts the world around us. And pray for this kind of fruitfulness as a church. Pray for it as a believer in Christ in your own life. I want to say for the last, in our last comment here, not only is faith to grow, faith to be tested, faith to be informed, but I want us to see the glory of our faith. Verse number 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. We all are somewhere different on our walk with Christ, on our journey. Some of you have enormous faith as God has worked in your life. And some of you maybe have baby-like faith. Don't be offended. It's probably true for some of us in here with this number of people. Some of you are kind of in the middle and, and struggling a little bit with faith. One of the joys we are reminded is the thing that unites us is the substance of our faith, and that is Christ himself. The glory, the very thing which we are to latch on to, to, to hold of, is, 
is not ourselves. It is not our believing. It's not to dissect all those things like it. It is to set your eyes upon the glory and the majesty of Christ. He is the substance. He is the one we are meant to believe in. John, using the language here, this second sign, the first of being turning water into wine, John using this to to declare for us something of the glory and the majesty and the deity of Christ. So that as we walk away from reading this chapter and looking at it this morning, we walk away being amazed at His his divine nature, His glory and His beauty and His competence. And at being amazed at who He is and, and all those things that are true about Him, we're to be strengthened in the mess of life that we live in. Again, going back to the beginning of this, it is meant to evangelize us and get us to to let go all of the dull and base things that we tend to put our faith and confidence on. And it is meant to to strengthen us and cause us to, to have turned to Christ to continually look at Him. And as we see him in all of his beauty and all of his glory as the word of God unfolds him from Genesis to Revelation, we're being changed from one degree of glory to another. We're being strengthened in our faith. Signs are not an end in and of themselves. The miracle is not the main thing. It is a real thing, a true thing. It is a historical, factual thing. But the main thing is what is trying to communicate to us. And he is no normal man. If he were just a good man or even a great man, then maybe we could put a measure of faith in him. But what the word of God is calling us to trust him for, he must be something more. Because the Bible is trying to tell us that you are staking your eternity on this one man. He has to be something more. He speaks with divine authority where he can say that this, your son lives and at the very moment he speaks it, life created in that boy recovering him 20 miles away. Reminds us at the beginning of the Gospel of John that the Bible says that in him is life. In him is life. And he gives life to whoever he pleases. And as we gather this morning, that is his redeeming purpose, isn't it? Even here in this congregation to give life. I pray that if you don't know who he is, that even this, even this morning as we get ready to bow in prayer, that, that you would turn to him and receive the gift of life that he offers. Believe. Believe. Our foundation for our faith is sure, steadfast, and unmovable. Would that bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning as we gather together. Thank you for how you continue to just encourage us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, do that even, even among your children this morning. I know that many are under a great weight of burdens and immovable objects, difficulties. And Lord, I just pray that even... Even now, God, that you would give great rest and peace 
And Father, if it be thy will, because we know that you're more than able, that you would move in some of these situations to where that as we gather again next week, that we might rejoice together in your good hand. And Father, I pray for those here this morning that if there's any that does not know you, we are told in your word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And I pray that in the word they've heard about Christ this morning, that they would even that they would even turn and believe in him. Father, I pray that they would call upon the name of the Lord and receive that glorious promise that you offer us that they should be saved. Lord, be with us, your people. Help us as we grow in our faith to, to grow in in such a way that we grow not only in our confidence of, of your word and the power and effectiveness of your word, but grow in the, the influence of our faith as we see it, it impacting and encouraging faith in the life of others. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.